Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. You uh, you are in, in store for something today, I think. Yesterday, it was sort of breaking all over the media outlets that there is leaked images of these detention facilities along the border. And we finally, because there was a blackout, journalists are not allowed to visit these facilities. Journalists are not allowed to interview Customs and Border Protection or Department of Homeland Security or ICE. They're not allowed to interview these people. They're not allowed to take images of them. And um, so there's a complete blackout by the Biden administration. And so there was these leaked uh, images from within inside the facility, and it sort of made the headlines all over the place. Well, Project Veritas is the one who broke the story, and Project Veritas will be joining our program in this hour to discuss that story and the situation on the border. So uh, where we have uh, Nick Jeevis is going to be joining the program. He's the managing editor of the newsroom there at Project Veritas. He's going to be on our program this hour. As well in this hour, we will have our my friend and attorney and political analyst Brent Haynes back on the program to cover some of these other headlines. Like, for instance, did you know that the, uh, the Christian baker uh, who was taken to court because he refused to bake a cake for a same-sex couple, is in his ninth year of trying to defend himself. We're going to cover that story with Attorney Brent Haynes, as well as a bunch of other stories, religious liberty and uh, stories that concern us as Catholics. All of that coming up up in this hour, uh, plus breaking news and stories, Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, and a lot more. And we're glad that you are here and a part of it. Good morning to you. And let's uh, the team is here as well. Of course, Emily, uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? Praise God, I am alive. That Amen. Counts. I love, yes, I love life. Thank God. <laughs> the, the, the right side of dirt, someone said to me the other day. We woke <laughs> up on the right side of the dirt. Praise be to God. <laughs> Uh, a very a lot of a lot in the headlines, I think, uh, to cover. Definitely, for sure. There's a lot to talk about. And did you hear Donald Trump is trying to start a new social media network? <laughs> Good luck. I mean, how much money do you think that's going to cost? He's a billionaire, isn't he? Uh, sure, but I think I've I heard he last he lost almost half of his his net wealth as president of the United States. That's true. That's true. So anyway, they're saying that's why he didn't join Gab or Parler. But I, I we'll thought, see. I thought he was already on those platforms. No? That's or not, he hasn't been posting. <laughs> He's just not posting anymore. Well, uh, God bless him. You know, I guess I wouldn't want to have to be the guy who starts a brand new social media platform. You have to you have to be responsible for everything. Infrastructure, management. I mean, that's got to be a billion-dollar startup. I, I, I have no idea what that costs. I wouldn't even know. Yeah, no idea. Crazy money. Speaking of crazy and money, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. With all my bazillions of dollars. <laughs> Your bazillions. bazillions. <laughs> uh, truth in advertising, Adrian went to a bazillion high school. That's why. And, and university. And, and, oh, that's right. I forgot. You're, you, have, uh, you have the bazillion, have the bazillion brand. bazillion blood running through my bones. <laughs> Praise be to God. I don't know about blood running through bones, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> don't say that too loudly. Uh, my, uh, my Portuguese in-laws may want to cook that into some sort of stew. Uh, uh, at any rate, uh, let's just see. We have a great show lined up for a lot to discuss and dive into today. Uh, Going to have a great guest with Project Veritas on the program, breaking story t- uh, today. Actually, broke yesterday, but it was all over the place. I mean, a lot of outlets were reporting this. 
this leaked images from the detention uh, facility there. It's a major crisis on our border, and we're going to be diving into that story today. So let's begin with prayer. Whatever your intentions are, my dear listener, we, are, of course, are praying for you, and we're praying for our radio apostolates, the Station of the Cross, as well as the Guadalupe Radio Network, and uh, asking for Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, to intercede for all of us by whispering these intentions into the ear of her Son. Let's, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. A priest of the Archdiocese of New Orleans arrested last year, along with two women, after filming a pornographic video on a parish church altar, has been charged with vandalism. Father Travis Clark, along with two other women, were charged with felony vandalism by the local district attorney and face up to two years imprisonment if found guilty. One of the women is reported to be a self-avowed Satanist. Father Clark was removed from priestly ministry back in October. And Archbishop Gregory Amond of New Orleans performed a penitential rite required for continued use of the church for sacramental purposes. On October 10th, a new cr- they consecrated a new altar. A seminary professor told Catholic News Agency in October that Father Clark had been a poor student who made little effort, which should have been a red flag. And Christopher Baglow, a theologian who taught Father Clark in seminary, said that he believes the priest's misdeeds point to a problem with seminary evaluations. The Diocese of Springfield in Illinois is restoring the Sunday obligation for most Catholics on April 11th, Divine Mercy Sunday. Bishop Thomas Paprocki announced the modified obligation to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation beginning on April 11th, with some exemptions saying, The Easter season is a very fitting time to renew our commitment to worship our Lord every weekend in commemoration of His resurrection and to pray for God's divine mercy to heal the sick and bring an end to this pandemic. Churches will continue to take safety precautions, Bishop Paprocki said, including mask wearing and social distancing and sanitary measures. The Springfield Diocese joins several other U.S. dioceses who have, in having restored a modified Sunday obligation, including the Diocese of Sioux Falls, the Archdiocese of Detroit, and the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. Bishop Paprocki has argued that months-long lockdowns by states as a response to the pandemic should be considered extraordinary means of saving lives and not ordinary means. And thus, according to Catholic ethics, they would not be morally obligatory and should not be coerced by the state. Police have fined a Catholic priest for celebrating public masses amid a nationwide lockdown. Gardai imposed a $595 fine on Father P.J. Hughes, pastor of a parish in County Caven, after he offered masses with a small number of parishioners present. Under government health measures, public worship has been suspended in Ireland since October 7, 2020. In a parish newsletter dated March 21st, Father Hughes wrote, Next Sunday marks the journey of Holy Week. It's hard to believe that for a second year, people cannot come to take part in the ceremonies of Holy Week. The Irish Catholic said that police asked Hughes in November of 2020 to lock the church's doors when he celebrated Mass to prevent parishioners from attending, but he continued to leave the church open. 
Sources who knew the priest said he was not willing to pay the fine and was ready to be jailed rather than cease public worship. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. St. Terubius of Magrovia, pray for us. He was born in 1538 in Leon in Spain. Born to nobility, he became a lawyer and a professor of law at Salamanca, but he was ordained to the priesthood in 1578 at the age of 40, and he would go on to become a judge of the court of the Inquisition at Granada in Spain. He also was the Archbishop of Lima in Peru, and on the uh, 15th of May, 1579, he founded the very first seminary in the Western Hemisphere. He fought vigorously for the rights of the native peoples against the Spanish masters and organized councils and synods in the New World. He would die on the 23rd of May, 1606 in Peru, and canonized on the 10th of December, 1726, by Pope Benedict XIII. St. Terubius pray for us. The gospel today is John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I am going away, and you will look for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, He is not going to kill himself, is he? Because he said, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You belong to what is below. I belong to what is above. You belong to this world, but I do not belong to this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What I told you from the beginning, I have much to say about you in condemnation, but the one who sent me is true, and what I heard from him I tell the world. They did not realize that he was speaking to them of the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am, and that I do nothing on my own. But I say only what the Father taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what is pleasing to him. Because he spoke this way, many came to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the great I am. If I, I, I think I said this was last week. I mentioned this. I love John's gospel, especially these these sort of like five through eight chapter. Chapter twelve is just amazing. I mean, there's so many so many parts of John's gospel that is just truly incredible. John six, of course. But if you've ever run into somebody who doubts the divinity of Jesus Christ, this is one of those passages that I would reference. You know, here he is contesting with the Pharisees, and, and just imagine for a second. You know, I have much to say to you about your condemnation. Like, that's the, that's the Son of God saying that to you. Like, those are things that you don't ever want to happen. You don't ever want to experience being condemned by the Son of God. Like, that would be bad. Terribly, horribly, can't get worse, kind of bad. And then when he says, I am, the Jews knew exactly what he's referencing. This is why they want to kill him. Because he's making himself equal 
to God. He is saying he is God. The great ego eimi in Greek. I am. It comes from the burning bush in Exodus with Moses. You remember that scene, right? He, Moses sees the bush being uh, on, it's on fire, but not being consumed. And it piques his curiosity and he approaches and he hears the voice from within the bush. Take off your shoes for the ground you are standing on is holy, sacred ground. Tell them ego me sent you. Tell them I am sent you. It is God himself. Jesus is saying he is God. And when you lift him up on the cross, of course, then you will know. You will know. The, compa- now, now connect the dots. Go to John 12 right now. Read and, and ponder on John 12. And the fruit of the grain of wheat that must fall into the earth and die. What is the fruit of a grain of wheat? It is the Holy Eucharist. It is bread. It is a powerful realization about who Jesus is and his mission to do the will of the Father. This is what Isaiah 43 verses 10 and 11 say. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Jesus is the I am referenced in Isaiah 43. Jesus is God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity. And that is a realization that we can ponder heavily today and how that affects our lives and how that ought to affect our lives. Adrian, you got anything? Uh, Yes. One thing that I think uh, that I can cover quickly is the fact that our Lord here, he's saying that the sin of unbelief and all the other sins, there is no forgiveness of these sins except through faith in Christ, whom ye ye reject, according to uh, talking to the Jews. And then he goes on to say, uh, what is uh, Cornelius Lapide is extrapolating from what, what our Lord is meaning here. He says, because I am from above. Ye shall die in your sins, because there is no one but myself, whom you despise, who can pardon and take away sins. This is incredibly important to note that our Lord is the only person who can take away our sins, the only person that can bring us everlasting life. And so we must be baptized. We must receive the sacraments. We must go to confession. Hashtag no sin gang. Hashtag no sin gang. Well, praise be to God. Uh, Patty, I just saw a comment. She's ducking tornado warnings out there in Canyon Lake area. And she's sharing our Facebook video. So, Patty, thank you for doing that. Thanks for sharing our content. We're very grateful to you. Don't go anywhere. Stick around because right after this very short break, Project Veritas is going to be on our show to talk about their leaked photos from the border detention facility. We'll be right back. Whenever Christians judge some behavior to be immoral, we're often hit with Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. But this is a misreading of the text, because just a few verses later in verse 5, he gives us precise instruction on how to judge. He says, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus, therefore, is not saying that we can't judge a behavior to be immoral. His point is that we need to have a forgiving and merciful attitude toward others as God has toward us. And when we do judge a behavior to be wrong and encourage our brother to avoid it, we need to make sure that we're first a credible witness living an upright life. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers. 
catholic.com. Hi, Joe McClain here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to Captain Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Don't forget, check out our website for all the details, links, and more information about the show, including our audio podcast, which can be found on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all those places. You can find the links and all the information and uh, additional content on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Attorney Brent Haynes is going to be on the program in a little while to catch us up on some of those religious liberty cases like the, the cake maker who is in his ninth year of trying to defend himself. But joining us right now by phone, uh, Project Veritas is Nick Jeevas. is the managing editor of the newsroom there. He's a formerly worked as a reporter at large for the Daily Caller as well as uh, Fox News and many other outlets. And he is with us today to talk about a brand new breaking story, leaked photos coming out of a border detention facility. Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, Nick, good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Joe, thanks for having me on. Yeah, praise be to God. Thank you for for the time. Let's talk about this story that Project Veritas broke that's uh, making its way around the world today. Must, it must be a very busy time for Project Veritas. Can you give us the details about these leaked photos, their source, the timing, all of that? Yeah, the story was very horrifying, was the word that came to mind as far as the images that we received. And for the listeners that may not know, these images, were of migrants at this detention center in Texas, and they were pushed so tightly into the corners of their living spaces, wrapped so tightly in space blankets for warmth that it almost didn't look real. Uh, As far as what happened and, and where it is, this is a facility that Border Patrol completed construction on just over a month ago. It's a 185,000 square foot facility. They have not let, to our knowledge, any nonprofit lawyers conduct any oversight. They won't even let them see these photos that we obtained. We, Veritas, had to obtain them, not the government. And our source, I can't talk too much about the identity of our sources. It's something, it's just something we do. We try to protect them. But according to the source, these photos were taken within the last several days, and they show at any given time 3,000 people in custody at this facility. And the source goes on to claim that these illegal immigrants are separated by age or physical size in some cases, that 50 of them were positive for COVID-19, and that not only all this, but there have been multiple sexual assaults, according to the source, normal assaults, and, quote, daily medical emergencies. Uh, it's, it's not a good scene down at the border in Donna, Texas. I, I can say that much from these pictures. Now, it's my understanding that this particular facility, the one at Donna, Texas, where these pictures are coming from, is one of three similar facilities. Is that? Do you have any information there? 
As far as that, we, we only covered this particular one with this story in Donna, but um, there are various detention facilities along the border. I can't speak to the you know, to the shape of the other ones. We, we only have the inside of Donna thus far, but um, there's been silence. There hasn't been a lot of discussion about other detention facilities when these photos came out. So we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. And this, is, this isn't the end of it as well. There's more caravans on their way here, isn't there? That's what we're hearing uh, through various sources, and even other outlets have reported that, that uh, towards the end of the month there is going to be a push to come to the border. And there have been statements made by, by Joe Biden that they should come to the border and, and should try to rush the border. Uh, he kind of has gone back and forth on that. So uh, this happened under Donald Trump as well, that these caravans, this wouldn't be the first time. So, I, I yes, it seems that there is going to be another one um, coming through again soon. Now, I think it, the video came out, was it yesterday, of uh, James O'Keefe out in front of this particular facility? Was that yesterday? This was, I think, a few days ago, two, two days ago, maybe several days ago. Um, but, yes, he went to the facility, James O'Keefe, our CEO, and he was just trying to be a journalist, asking questions, inquiries and he was treated uh, very curtly and told to leave in a manner that was not consistent with what you would think the government would respond to as far as a journalist so james took to the skies and got in an airplane and flew over the facility so that we could at least have an aerial view of what was going on and it was all covered you couldn't see anything from the inside but you could get you could gather the enormity of this place and how it was set up, at least from the outside, and uh, it was just, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anybody turned away for simply asking a question about public policy. Well, looking at these particular images that are posted now on projectveritas.com, we will post a link to it, by the way, dear listeners, so that you can see it for yourself as well. But the videos are, uh, Project Veritas's videos are on their YouTube channel and, and elsewhere as well. Uh, and I highly encourage you to check it out. But uh, looking at these pictures, it looks like a, a metal structure covered with a canvas is makes up the, the, the building itself. And then there's like a uh, sort of a, a big tube that probably acts like their ventilation system or air conditioning system. Sto looks like looks like stone floor. Does that is that is that the case? Do I see stone there? So they're sleeping on it a seems stone to be. floor. There's certainly no mattresses. No mattresses. It's or like very few. There's like four uh, four or five pins inside this building. Uh, everybody's sleeping on stone floor with their with their uh, survival blankets. These are like these is it mylar or like a some sort of a like a material like a metal material looking that helps to retain body heat. But there's I think there's I see benches around the edge of these uh, little cells. Uh, so you could say at least they're crammed in there. They're, they can't be very comfortable and they're sleeping on a stone floor. Um, what what kind of response and reaction has Project Veritas received by publishing this information? Well, it, it, the reactions vary, as you know, uh, from some in person to some on social media to some through email. And I think that there was a shock among at least the people I had spoken to or the, the comments that I had seen personally online. And a lot of them mentioned the children. How, how can you allow children, so many, to get caught up in this being that they're susceptible to things like fatigue and, and disease. And um, we had mentioned, or I had mentioned in another interview previously, that you know human trafficking is also a big issue. 
um, I think that a lot of people realize that this is about humanity. And that's always been the line with, with immigration policy. And to see people on the floor wrapped up that way, I think it, it shook some people that there was a lack of humanity there. Have you, have you got any feedback from people maybe to the left uh, on, the perspective, on the political perspective? How do they see this? We, well, I mean, we, we always do. Um, I haven't monitored all the comments, so I, I can't uh, give you a direct, honest answer on that. I've only seen a few in passing, you know, the ones that I can speak for. Uh, but it was reported by outlets uh, other than us uh, after the fact and with separate photos. There were other similar photos aired on CNN. So uh, to me, it seems that everyone is in agreement that this is, there's a problem here and whether or not we agree on how to fix it or, or anyone will opine on how to fix it. I'll leave that to the public and to the lawmakers to, to handle that. But it seems there doesn't seem to be a lot of partisan divide on the issue. It's that the voters show it all. These people are suffering. These people are suffering. You know, it is a tragic situation there. And it seems uh, I thought I heard or read this morning, actually, that the Biden administration has confirmed that they are going to turn back whole families and individuals, but children, they will uh, let in. And there's been reports that they're, in some cases, they're considering letting people, they're releasing them even without court dates, uh, which is uh, even greater. Uh, it's going to exaggerate the situation even worse. Uh, it, what else is coming on this particular topic? I'd like to talk to you about Facebook here in a second, but is there anything else coming out of Project Veritas that you might give us a, a tip about? I can only say stay tuned. We, we let our sources usually dictate the content, and they're the ones, the brave souls that go out there and, and do the job. And uh, I will say really quickly before we go to, to Zuckerberg that anyone out there who may be one of those brave souls or an insider who does want to share more information on this topic or any others, they can email us at veritastips at protonmail.com. It's veritastips at protonmail.com. But for now, all I can say is stay tuned. Uh, Nick Jeevis is our... Uh, guest right now. He is the managing editor of the newsroom at Project Veritas, and they broke the story uh, with these uh, leaked photos out of the Border Patrol facility. But last week, there was a, a series of videos that came out, or one big video that came out on Project Veritas about uh, some insiders talking about Zuckerberg and the power of Facebook, Google, and these these oligarchs that uh, these tech oligarchs yeah. that have a lot of power. Uh, tell us about that story um, because I think a lot of people probably just dismiss this as sort of like um, you know crazy talk in many ways. But these tech companies really do wield quite a bit of influence. And I think on that undercover video uh, of that inside of that global strategist lead guy, he was talking about uh, the ability for Benny Facebook, yeah, yeah, for the ability to control the way people think and behave. Tell me about that. Well, he, Benny Thomas, who was, as you said, Facebook's global planning lead, he, we, you know, it's on tape, him saying, I would break up Facebook. That, it is, and this is me paraphrasing now, it, that it, they've become so big that they're almost like, and this is actually, quote, separate, um, they should be separate companies, he says. They're so big that they're almost like countries. And it is a quote from him, quote, most people don't understand these things, and most people don't think about them, which is why a lot of leap goes down because a lot of people aren't paying attention. So he really said a lot about what's going on behind the scenes at Facebook. And he compared Mark Zuckerberg to a king. He said, no king in the history of the world has had this kind of power, uh, 
this rule over 2 billion people. And he went on. It, it, just, it kept getting worse and worse. He was talking about algorithm bias and how certain algorithms will shut down certain speech and how their AI systems are evolving and becoming more human. I mean, this is something you'd think you'd find out of science fiction or in a 1998 you know, sci-fi movie with Christian Bale. It's real. This is not a joke. And I don't think it's crazy talk. He seemed very lucid in the video, and he spoke very plainly about it to the point where he was even, he dropped the word eugenics at one point. So I would encourage your listeners to go and, and watch that. Again, his name is Benny Thomas, and you can find that story on projectveritas.com under the title King Zuck, uh, that's for Zuckerberg. And it was equally as shocking to me as the border story, if not more so. One of the, the points that he made that uh, gave me pause was talking about the lawsuits. There was like 40-some-odd states that are suing Facebook right now. And I think there's co other countries that are suing Facebook right now. And he mm -hmm. fluffed it off as, ah, it's no big deal. It's not, it's, it'll take so long for it's that to work new. itself out. It's true. I mean, even dating back to the beginning when I was a reporter of my career, I remember the talk of antitrust lawsuits and state attorney generals trying to move against Facebook. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I can't say whether or not he's right or wrong on if it won't do anything. But I think he is correct in saying that this isn't an, a new issue. This isn't reinventing the wheel. States have tried to go after Facebook and you know, Amazon and big tech and companies such as that. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully more of these videos come out so that the public can decide with all the information that's out there. All right, Nick Jeevis, Managing Editor of the Newsroom at the Project Veritas. Thanks for your time today. We're very grateful to you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you, too. Praise be to God. That's going to do it for that section, but don't go anywhere. We have a lot more kind of drive time headed your way. We'll be right back. This is Dale Offlist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say... I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. G.K. Chesterton says, you might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the Encyclopedia, is meant for everybody and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www.chesterton.org. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, and these are your headlines for today. The U.S. Bishops Conference denounced racism and violence following last week's shootings in Atlanta that killed six Asian women. 
On March 16th, a gunman killed eight people, including six Asian women, and injured one person during a series of shootings at three massage parlors in the Atlanta area. The shooter, Robert Aaron Long, 21 years old, had frequented the parlors and had previously been in a rehabilitation program for sex addiction. The FBI director last week said he did not believe race was a motivating factor in the shootings and Long has yet to be charged with a hate crime. However, with women of Asian descent making up three-quarters of the shooting victims, the killing sparked conversations about anti-Asian discrimination in the United States, particularly during the COVID-19 pandemic. Georgia allows for the death penalty, but it is presently unknown if the state will seek that punishment for long. On March 20th, marking the first anniversary of coronavirus lockdowns in several nations, Participants in the Worldwide Rally for Freedom marched in Canada, the USA, Uruguay, Argentina, Ireland, Britain, Norway, the Netherlands, France, Belgium, Germany, Italy, Croatia, Serbia, Ukraine, Japan, and Australia, among other countries as well. They protested lockdowns, mask mandates, and the coercive push for vaccines. In Britain, left-wing activists clashed violently with police as they showed their opposition to a proposed new law banning public protest itself. In the United States, protests took place across the country from Cape Cod to Huntington Beach, California. In Britain, tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets of their cities or traveled to London to join the mass demonstration there. The rallies also protested against a proposed new legislation called the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill that would crack down on public demonstrations. And the restrictions on private masses in the upper side chapels of St. Peter's Basilica went into force on Monday. The Basilica was quiet on March 22nd without the usual murmur of prayers in many languages being offered to God in the sacrifice of the Mass at the tombs of saints. At 8.30 a.m. in the Vatican, no Masses could be seen taking place in the empty side chapels. The only official Mass scheduled at that time occurred out of sight behind a curtain behind a barricade. Only eight people were present at the Mass offered in Italian by one priest at Orientum, facing liturgical east without any hymns. A sign on the door of St. Peter's Basilica lists only four official daily Masses. The Basilica appeared more like a silent museum where the art above the altars can be viewed, but the altars themselves are left unused for their intended purpose. Until now, the 45 altars and 11 chapels in St. Peter's Basilica have been used every morning by priests to celebrate their daily Mass. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Tuesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily, for keeping us up to date. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, just a quick note here. Um, next hour, because Catholic Drive Time has a second hour. If you're able to join us, that's wonderful. Praise be to God. Um, but I just wanted to say, next hour special, we're not actually going to be on the hour uh, on the air next hour. Our next hour is not going to be until 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern. So just a little note, the uh, this week is special. Next week goes back to normal. In fact, uh, our, even our game show is affected this week. We'll, we'll have somewhat of a, a game show. It'll be slightly different this week. It won't be in, we gave out the prizes yesterday. So if you're able to join us 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern on one of our live video streams or our GRN, whatever, praise be to God. You can find all the links on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. By the way, do you know the podcast is out and available? It's available uh, ubiquitously, right, uh, Adrian? It's uh, everywhere available. 
Yes, you can uh, now watch or I guess listen to our podcast on Apple, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast. Uh, so anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can now listen to Catholic Drive Time. And of course, you can still listen to our uh, show online on Facebook.com forward slash GRN or Catholic Drive Time and YouTube at Catholic Drive Time and Rumble at Catholic Drive Time. And you can review the podcast as well. You can leave comments and reviews on those podcast feeds. In fact, it helps us to grow the audience. And let's just say you can't stand us. You have to still leave a five-star review but you can actually curse us out in the, in the comments. Yeah, That's go fine. ahead. And Praise then send, send me an email. Tell me how horrible <laughs> I am. Just leave a five-star review. <laughs> Just leave the five-star review. Amen to that. I also want to thank really quickly realestateforlife.org for generously underwriting a portion of Catholic Drive Time, helping buyers and sellers of houses uh, have a faith-based experience and pro, uh, support pro-life organizations. Their website is realestateforlife.org. Joining us right now by phone is my uh, my friend, political analyst and attorney, Brent Haynes. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Joe. Praise be to God. Thanks for your time today. I, I saw an article out this morning that says, War on Christian Baker now in ninth year as state puts him on trial. Uh, this is Jack Phillips' Masterpiece Cake Shop. Uh, nine years trying to defend himself. What's going on there? That's correct, Joe. A lot of people will remember that Jack Phillips, um, who operates a bakery called Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado, won a victory at the U.S. Supreme Court in 2018. This was hailed as a great victory for religious freedom by many people. But as a lot of us pointed out at the time, the U.S. Supreme Court did not rule that Jack Phillips did not have to make a cake um, that he was allowed to uh, live according to his conscientious objection because of his religious beliefs. Instead, what they ruled was that the Civil Rights Commission in Colorado had showed religious bias. And just as background for to remind people of what had happened was a, uh, a gay couple, two men had asked Jack Phillips to make a wedding cake for them, and he said no, he could not do that because it violated his religious beliefs. Now, significantly, there are other cakes that Jack Phillips said he would not make, such as a cake celebrating Halloween or a cake celebrating divorce. So he was not specifically discriminating against gay people. He simply did not want to participate in the celebration of something that uh, contradicts his religious beliefs, namely a gay marriage. After many years in court, uh, the case went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in 2018, when the Supreme Court looked at the record, they found that the U.S., or not the U.S., but the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, had openly uh, shown bias, religious bias. And they said that alone was enough to rule for Jack Phillips. So anybody looking at the case in 2018, especially lawyers uh, who are concerned for religious liberty, looked at that and realized and realized that um, all Colorado had to do or all anybody else had to do was go back, take Jack Phillips to court, and not say out loud what they were really thinking, which is what happened. Well, the day that the U.S. Supreme Court announced that they were going to hear Jack Phillips' case, a person in Colorado, transgender person, called and requested a cake. This person's a lawyer. And they wanted a cake that was pink on the inside and blue on the outside to show their transgender status. This was even before the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Jack Phillips' favor. And Jack Phillips, of course, said no. Well, after all the 
Lawsuits were done at the U.S. Supreme Court after Colorado filed another lawsuit against Jack Phillips, and Jack Phillips filed a lawsuit against Colorado. After all of those lawsuits finally got resolved by simply agreeing to dismiss all of them, the lawsuit by this person who wanted the pink cake with the blue icing was allowed to go forward, and that case began in court in Colorado yesterday. Brent Haynes is our guest right now, political analyst and attorney. We're talking about this uh, case out of Colorado, the Masterpiece Cake Shop. Now, what I understand about this, Brent, is that Jack always had cakes available for people to purchase. Like He said, you're welcome to purchase any of my cakes. He simply did not want to... Uh, participate in the message in certain messaging, as you stated before. He wasn't specific to just gay couples. It was divorce and and some of these other things. But he he never refused to sell someone a cake. It was just the messaging that he didn't want to participate in. Is that the case? That is exactly right, and that is what a lot of people fail to understand. And that's the message that you generally do not hear in most of the mainstream media. Most of the mainstream media is going to gloss over the point that you just made. Jack Phillips said very clearly he would be happy to sell anybody who walked into his shop any of the cakes he had already made. That's a critical difference. If you're a baker, Joe, and you just put your baked goods, such as cakes, out for sale in your store, and somebody walks in and say it's a minority, and you say, well, I don't sell to you, that's discrimination, and that's illegal. And that's been illegal in the United States since the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. But when somebody goes to a baker and says, I want you to make me a wedding cake, well, everybody out there on the radio who's listening right now, who's been married or who's been closely involved with wedding preparations for somebody who is, was getting married, knows that the cake is an important part of the ceremony. Uh, wedding photographers are important are an important part of of weddings. These people go in and they use their artistic skill. Uh, there's a reason that couples who are preparing for a wedding go around and, and visit different bakers and taste different types of wedding cakes and choose certain styles. A lot of effort goes into it. It is an expression on the part of the baker. And it gets the baker personally involved in that activity. And that is what Jack Phillips um, is opposed to. If Jack Phillips loses loses this case, and if it is not overturned on appeal, this means that people who bake cakes uh, for weddings, uh, people who are photographers who do wedding photography, people who are florists, such as the florist in the state of Washington. Hold that thought, Brent. We're going to be right back. We're going to take a short break. Kevin's Drive Time's coming back. We're going to talk to Brent Haynes about this and other stories in the news. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back at you. St. Benedict warns us to keep death daily before our eyes. One Minute Monk, Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. At first hearing, this can sound really depressing. A grim recipe for a sad life. But let's think about that again. Do you know anyone who's not going to die? St. Benedict is simply reminding us that death is just a part of life. It is the last opportunity we will have to accept God's will for us, and he wants us to be ready for it. Keeping death daily before our eyes puts all the other parts of life in the right perspective and helps us give them their proper value. For your free copy of The Rule of St. Benedict, 
Visit OneMinuteMonk.com. O-N-E-MinuteMonk.com. For St. Benedict, death is something good to keep in mind as the final fulfillment in our life of that love of God which cast out fear. Now that's not such a sad way to live, is it? Hi, I'm Emily Alcaraz, and I'm the co-host of the Catholic Drive Time Show, which airs from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. Central Time. I'm excited to announce our partnership with our new underwriter, Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life offers a faith-based experience while supporting the gospel of life. They work with over a 1,000 pro-life agents worldwide and generously support a variety of pro-life organizations. Their website is realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. Drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Having some technical difficulties on our live stream, our computer decided it needed a rest, and so it took one. <laughs> so if you're hanging out with us on the live video stream, we par- we apologize for that interruption, but we are back. But uh, Attorney Brent Haynes and uh, political analyst is on the line with us. We're talking about some of these these cases. Brent, let's transition to the Equality Act and how this will affect our religious liberties as Catholics in America? Well, the Equality Act is a full frontal assault on the ability of Americans to live according to their religious beliefs. And for Catholics in particular, a good example of this would be uh, for someone who sends their children to Catholic school. Uh, We did have an important victory at the Supreme Court last year where the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that teachers are what the law recognizes um, as ministers. It's called a ministerial exception in the law. And if an employee in a church or religious organization is considered a minister, they're pretty much insulated because of the U.S. Constitution. But Joe, think of all the employees at a Catholic school or in any other kind of religious organization that are not teachers. Um, think of the janitors. Think of the people who work in the cafeteria. Um, school bus drivers, anybody like that. Well, the Equality Act would allow uh, people who are openly flaunting through their lifestyle um, the ability, this would give them the ability to go to to, uh, institutions such as Catholic schools, apply for jobs, and then if they don't get hired, they would then have the ability to file suit and claim discrimination. And the real hostility in the Equality Act is proven by the fact that it explicitly prevents defendants in lawsuits from raising religious objections as a defense. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed by the United States Congress to restore religious freedom after a Supreme Court decision in 1990. The Equality Act explicitly says that you cannot use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, or your religious beliefs as a defense to your alleged discrimination against people on the basis of gender identity. You know, there's this other headline here, the uh, the governor up in South Dakota refusing to sign a a piece of legislation in her state that would defend women's sports. And I think that's part uh, part of the equation in all of this that we have to consider as Catholics is the, quote, woke culture, unquote, and the pressure upon people in society, whether they work at schools or, or just life, to go along to get along with the narrative. You know, um, 
I got a text message over the break from a friend uh, commenting on the, the case of that shooter in Atlanta and the, the sort of the narrative that everything is racial, racially motivated, but not everything is racially motivated. And, in, uh, and I think that that's part of what we're seeing here is that all of these dots are starting to be connected and how we're seeing that transform our society before our eyes, where you can't call a spade a spade. And you can't call, you can't say something that's true because it may offend or, or it may hurt the sensibilities of, of a certain class of people. And therefore, we all have to perpetuate this sort of narrative. Is there a way forward for Catholics, especially Catholics in the work of evangelization? Catholics in media, for instance, I'm thinking of someone in particular, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that... Um, that has to find a way forward to continue our apostle, continue our work. Um, is it going to be possible, or do you see darker days ahead, Brent Haynes? Well, ultimately, that will depend on the political and legal decisions made in the United States. Um, fortunately, uh, we have won some decisions at the U.S. Supreme Court, and there is a decision. There's a case at the U.S. Supreme Court right now, which you have discussed before, from Philadelphia, involving uh, foster care or adoptions by. Uh, Catholic Social Services in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, the government there said they could not participate because they refused to place children with gay couples, even though Catholic Social Services there made referrals for those people to go to other agencies that would be happy to do so. If we win that case, that will be a great victory for religious freedom in the United States in terms of relations between uh, religious organizations and the government. Other cases, such as the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, or all of these wedding cases, uh, including the one that uh, could be decided by the Supreme Court from Washington State, uh, where the florist, called Arlene's Flowers, the florist is being bankrupted by the state of Washington, just like uh, Jack Phillips in Colorado. She's been persecuted for years because she did not want to provide flowers for a, a uh, gay wedding. And for, on, under the same rationale that a florist who provides flowers for a wedding, uh, who goes and makes the designs and makes the arrangements and, and goes and sets everything up, they're participating in the wedding. That's different than just selling uh, flowers to somebody who walks into your shop and buys, and buys them right there. These issues that you're raising of interaction between people in society, not just between people in government or organizations in government, but between the people in society, between the customer and the businessman or the customer and the businesswoman or the job applicant and the employer, um, these relationships are what is under threat. And you've identified it exactly. Uh, people uh, g get offended as you said, and then they institute complaints in the human resources department. They file complaints with uh, civil rights commissions or human rights commissions, or the, uh, they file complaints with the government, or they just file lawsuits. And we know the phrase for this when somebody is offended, microaggression. I mean, that, that's part of our terminology now, because there's just a strong impetus in this society to uh, provide a narrative that they want all of us to agree with. And those of us who have religious objections are going to face conflict. The problem is that when the U.S. Supreme Court is our only place to be vindicated, we're really playing defense, Joe. When our resort is to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and to argue a constitutional principle, that's our last stronghold. When lawyers go to court and when judges decide cases, they don't go straight to the U.S. Constitution. 
it's a legal principle in the United States that cases are decided according to the rules and the laws that are set up according to that particular issue or that particular area of law. You know, if you're in Florida and you have a legal dispute and it involves a Florida statute, the case is probably going to be decided according to a statute, not the U.S. Constitution. By the time you get through all the statutes, say the Equality Act, for example, if it gets passed by Congress, by the time you get through all of the statutes and the only thing you have left is the only thing you have left is the Constitution. And if you lose there among the nine people in Washington, D.C., then there's nothing left. Brent Haynes, uh, we're on for about just about four more minutes left in the show. Uh, but I had a question for you in regards to uh, talking about going on defense. Uh, it seems like uh, Christianity, Catholicism, we're always on defense. Uh, how on earth do we go on offense? How do we take back the culture, especially from a legal a- aspect? It seems like we're always being put on our back on the backs of our heels, uh, but we need to start moving forward. Uh, is there any way that you see a way for us to do this? Well, on the legal side, we have excellent lawyers fighting not just for Christians, but for people of all religious beliefs in the courts in the United States. And, and that's not, that's not, not just a, uh, an aphorism or, or a uh, slogan. You know, there are Christian lawyers out there, for example, representing Muslims in religious freedom cases. Um, so uh, Christian lawyers are engaged in this battle all across the country. The real fight uh, is occurring in the broader society. It's occurring in the human resources departments. Uh, in the human resources departments uh, at the large employers around the country. Uh, a friend of mine uh, from my parish texted me just last night about yet another employer who is going to impose diversity requirements uh, on their employees, and there are reports that they won't hire white men, that they, they just wow. won't even consider them. Isn't uh, that discrimination? Because- well, you would think it was, you would think it's discrimination, wouldn't you? Um, but, you know, I've worked on discrimination cases in the past, and they're actually, at least when I was working on them years ago, they're actually very hard to prove. You know, most discrimination uh, is done implicitly. Mm. You know, people don't write memos usually saying, well, we didn't hire this applicant because of X, Y, or Z. They simply choose another applicant. One of the real problems that's going to occur in the future is that faithful practicing uh, Catholic practicing graduates of Catholic schools and Catholic colleges um, are going to be identifiable, and that's going to make it more difficult for them when they apply to jobs. When they apply for jobs, it's going to make it more difficult for them when they apply to colleges and universities or graduate schools. It will also uh, become an area, and this is where society, especially intersects the law and government again, becomes a problem when it comes to getting your professional license. And this is another area where there are court cases and where there are huge fights. Um, pharmacists who don't want to prescribe abortifacient drugs, uh, nurses who don't want to assist in performing abortions, um, lawyers who don't want to provide legal services to uh, gay couples in the context of marriage, um, social workers. There are many, many professions out there that are licensed and heavily regulated by the government, um, psychologists, and of course, the medical field. Um, you know, Catholic hospitals have already had to, uh, 
have already made settlement payments and lawsuits filed uh, by advocates on the other side because of you know alleged discrimination. So these fights are all across the board. It comes down ultimately to winning hearts and minds, being good witnesses, showing that we mean no ill will or harm to anybody, but that we have a right to disagree with people's actions, even though we respect them as persons. Mm. All and right. we just have to do that one at a time. We have to do that one at a time. All right. Brent Haynes, a political analyst and attorney, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. Thank you, Joe. All right. Praise be to God. Have a great day, Brent. Uh, that's going to do it for hour number one of Catholic Drive Time today. Now, this week is special. So from today until Friday, the second hour of our program won't be until 9 a.m. Central, 10 Eastern. And you can join us on one of our live video feeds or on the GRN. You can find those links on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. That's grnonline.com forward slash CDT. God love you and God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you back here 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern for Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. friend asked me why Catholics have crucifixes in our churches. Don't we believe Jesus has risen? Why do we keep him on the cross? Well, first of all, you want to check out 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. Why does Paul preach Christ crucified? Doesn't he know Jesus has been raised from the dead? Well, of course he does. But he knows that it is through the power of the crucified Christ on the cross that the bonds of sin and death are broken. As he says in verse 24, Christ crucified is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Again, didn't Paul know that Jesus had risen from the dead? Well, of course he did. Paul preaches Christ crucified because an empty cross has no power. The cross that bears the beaten, battered, and bloodied body of Jesus Christ, however, that cross is the power of God. So we keep Jesus on the cross because we, too, preach Christ crucified. And the crucifix reminds us not only of God's power, but also his love for us, giving his only begotten son up for death and suffering. Also, here in this life, we do not share so much in the glory of the resurrection as we do in the suffering of Jesus on the cross. After all, we must take up our cross daily if we are to follow Jesus, as it says in Luke 9, verse 23. And we must die with Christ in order to live with him, as Romans 6, 8 tells us. Where did Christ die? On the cross. One other passage to keep in mind is Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Did you catch that? Jesus was publicly portrayed before their eyes as being crucified. Sounds kind of like they may have been looking at a crucifix, doesn't it? A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.
Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu.
Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus.
What was your favorite part of high school? Making out with your mom. What? 